multimedia podcast that covers the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm CJ Mitica, Editor-in-Chief of ASI Media, and today I'm joined by Bonnie Artman-Fox, workplace conflict expert and author of How Did My Family Get in My Office? She'll reveal the common sources of conflict in the office and offer strategies to defuse it, as well as the secret cause of workplace tension. Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So I'm really intrigued by this topic today. Uh, I think for anybody who's ever worked in a, in a professional environment, we've all encountered workplace conflict. And it's not something we, we, we like, it's probably something we, we, we try to avoid, um, but it's something that we all can do a better job of dealing with and, and trying to solve these issues. And, that, and that's where you come in today, Bonnie. And we'll be asking you, you know, a bunch of questions on that topic. And be, before we get started, um, we, we are streaming live on Facebook and LinkedIn. And, so, and we're happy to answer your questions all, all, all throughout the, the podcast today. Um, and even if you have a specific workplace issue that you're dealing with at the moment, um, Bonnie is here to help answer the question. I'm sh- and I'm sure there's a way that that question can be can be asked without getting too too personal. Um, but Bo- Bonnie will be happy to offer ideas, advice, and, and gen- general tips as well. So if you have a question, feel free to ask it. Um, all right. So Bonnie, just, just to start off with, it seems very unusual to say like, oh, I want to specialize in workplace conflict. Um, how how did you arrive at arrive at that and, and, and sort of and specialize in, in this unique area? Well, it actually goes back to way back several years ago when I was recruited for my very first leadership position. And initially, I said, "I don't think I'm the person for you. I don't have any leadership experience." And I was assured, "Oh, Bonnie, you'll be great. You are known for your excellent clinical skills, and besides." We're going to teach you everything you need to know. You're going to receive leadership development training. And I thought, well, this is going to be great. I always want to grow and learn. Took the position. Within a few months, I could tell what was promised was not was delivered. There were closed door meetings, decisions made without my input. I basically had responsibility without authority. And at that point, as I was asking questions about, hey, what about the leadership development training? And, uh, you know, this is not what was explained to me of what would happen. There was silence. And at that point, I knew I could leave, but I would take me with me. (laughs) I could stay and endure it, or I could stay and grow from it. And that's what I chose to do. But at that time, this is way back in the 90s, and uh, coaching really wasn't a thing. For me, I did the next logical thing, which was to go to therapy. Uh, isn't that logical to you? Like, <laughs> Because I wanted to learn the skills to navigate this, this conflict that was silence. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was through that experience that I, I learned and I grew from that led me to the work that I'm doing today. And I'm so passionate about equipping people with the skills of navigating conflict at work. So this, you, you wrote, you wrote a book on the subject, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and family, and as the title of your book says, plays a central role in workplace conflict. Um, how, 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 how's that the case? Why is that the case? Well, again, picking up on on the story of uh, I, going to therapy, I, I one of the first questions the therapist asked was, what brings you here, of course? And I told her what was going on in, in the work setting. 
And she asked me a question that at the time I, I didn't understand the connection. She said, tell me about your upbringing. How was conflict handled in your upbringing? And I told her there was oftentimes silence, uh, avoidance, that as a family, uh, we didn't know how to have differences. Mm -hmm. And then she said something that was life-changing. Hmm. Sounds like your family's in your office. Yeah. And little did I know then of how her words would shape my work. Um, so at that point, I focused on my own opportunity for growth, as, as she would often refer to it, of understanding how my family dynamics were showing up in the office and changing the only person I could change, which was me, of learning how to speak up for myself. Uh, because in my family, I tended to be the pleaser, the one who would uh, smooth things over to keep the peace. And I was learning how to speak up for myself. And uh, so that's how the therapy was beneficial for me and how how I have then gone on to write the book of How Did My Family Get in My Office by interviewing leaders of from various industries, ethnicities, uh, and, and understanding how was conflict handled in your upbringing and how did that influence how you deal with conflict in the workplace? And it's a, the book is a compilation of stories of these leaders who share about this transformation of how they dealt with conflict and what they did to improve whether that was learning how to be less reactive, how to, to uh, speak up and uh, address conflict versus avoid it. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that we respond to conflict, but it stems from what we learned in our upbringing. And I call that our family factor. So it sounds like a cliche, right? Like um, all my problems, I can just blame on my parents, right? Um, but it sounds like from what, what you're describing is that it's, it's an idea of sort of um, recognizing the the factors that sort of influence the person you become, the leader you you become. And so, would it be fair to say by sort of acknowledging that you become aware of it and can then learn how to how to how to grow from there or, or, or fix whatever issues that that you, you you may be practicing because of that? Exactly. I, when I was recruiting uh, and asking leaders to be a part of the book, I, I and the whole premise is a honoring our families. It is not at all about blame, shame, finger sure. pointing, throwing anybody under the bus. I truly believe parents do the best they can with what they knew at the time or whoever <laughs> raised us. It's it's looking back to understand what were the family patterns of what was modeled to us when things got tough growing up and how did that impact how we chose to then respond? Because we know that by age six or seven, kids learn how they're going to navigate through life when things get tough, when things are tense. We learn our role at that early age and without becoming aware of it, we just keep repeating that as we go into adulthood. And it is through self-awareness that we can look back to understand and change the patterns for the better. So through your, through your work, you see now, I'm sure countless, you know, workplace environments, worked with a lot of clients. What, is the most common causes of tension, conflict in, in the workplace? Well, I, I find that we, as a society, we don't know how to stay in the tension. By conflict, by its very nature, things do get tense. And we and our brain, from a brain science perspective, 
stress hormones start to shoot through our brain and shut down our prefrontal cortex uh, here over our forehead where best thinking happens. And just physiologically, that's what happens from a brain science perspective. What oftentimes happens is when we feel that surge of reactivity of our, our fight, flight, or freeze response is starting to go to town, is that we immediately have a knee-jerk reaction of what we do to try to avoid uh, the conflict or to right. fix things, to decrease the, the chaos. Instead of staying in the tension would be recognizing, okay, I'm getting triggered here. What's this about? What's going on? And being intentional to calm down our fight, flight, or freeze response in order to stay in that tension instead of blurting out something later that we later regret or avoiding the conversation altogether and let that leaves that tension lingering or shut off our Zoom or, or our uh, webcam uh, so that we just check out from the call that we're on. It's learning how to have those difficult conversations and in many ways, learning the skills of how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And those those skills are definitely can be learned. It takes practice. So I, you know, I know a few people who, who relish conflict, but I would say that the majority of people don't enjoy conflict. And to your point, I think they take steps to avoid that. Yeah. So are you saying that by doing that, though, that they're they're causing more harm? That's when um, that's when here I've got a, a little prop here. That's yeah. when the Mokita enters the room. Oh, all right, I got a little prop for you. I, I got my own little prop too here. All right. All right. <laughs> Great. So my wife is, a, is a, a, obsessed with elephants. She has it all, all over all over the house. So <laughs> I, I brought my own too. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, there's a word from one of the tribes in Papua New Guinea that is mokita, and it's not a drink, <laughs> yeah. but I have it uh, written yeah. on the top here. Of awesome, awesome promotional product. That's great. Yeah, it is. Yes. And the word mokita means the truth we know about and agree not to speak of. Or in our English language, it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. When conflict doesn't get addressed or when the mokita doesn't get addressed, that's when tension, hurt feelings, anger goes underground. And it may seem like, okay, everything's all right. And maybe even create this artificial harmony of niceness, but underneath feelings are brewing that lead to gossip, what used to be the water cooler conversations sure. uh, of the indirect communication or snarky comments because the real issues, the Mokitas aren't getting addressed. That's why it's so important to learn how to have difficult conversations and enter that zone of tension in order to work through the, the difference. So is, I, at, at the beginning, I sort of mentioned the fact that conflict is just a kind of just a, a way of life in the office. It's, you know, it seems to yeah. always evolve, but is that, is that always the case? Like, I mean, are there, are there strategies, like proactive strategies people could be practicing to avoid it in the first place? Or is it more sort of the fact that no matter what you do, there's always going to be some sort of conflict and and, and you should be following the strategies to, to deal with it as, you, as, you, as you're going to talk about in a little bit? Well, first of all, I believe conflict is healthy. Okay. I, believe it or not, that it is healthy because we're all different. We all have different life experiences and perspectives on things. So to be able to have 
some even heated conversations about differences and different points of view, that's when the best ideas emerge in order to be innovative and to problem solve and, and move projects forward. So I always look for, yes, it's healthy. Now, the caveat is in order to have healthy, productive conflict, there needs to be a foundation of trust. Okay. And not just any trust, what, what we call is vulnerability-based trust, where there's the sense that I can be vulnerable and share my shortcomings when I drop the ball, admit a mistake, and to know it's not going to be used against me. When teams have that type of trust that's foundational, then conflict is more likely to be handled well. And again, conversations can still get heated, but people feel safe to speak up. And that's when the solutions can be identified to go forward and lead to accountability that, okay, we we bantered back and forth, everybody had a say, and we can make that commitment of how we're going to proceed going forward and hold each other accountable to that commitment. I love that idea. Um, you know, I think when people think of conflict, especially in the workplace, um, there's there's a fear that they're going to take it personally, that a mm -hmm. criticism, mm -hmm. criticism on that person is, is a criticism on their who they are as a person, not necessarily in the, in the business context. And so I guess, so you talked about then establishing that trust so that you know that it won't be held against you. How do companies go about doing that? Well, it's again, the willingness to enter those difficult conversations. Okay. And if there is a sense of uh, maybe taking something uh, the wrong way or taking it personally, it's the courage to speak up in that moment and say, hey, I, I just want to check out. This is what I heard. It, I just want to check out because the story I'm telling myself is is negative. And I just want to check out. Is that what you intended? So that's one way. Um, I love a quote by uh, Winston Churchill. He says, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And sometimes when we're in disagreement, it is that in the moment discernment of, do I speak up about this? Or is this me just taking this personally? Or do I need just to let this play out and let things unfold and listen more to where others are coming from? And that's a judgment call in the moment. The more self-awareness that we have, and again, trust, of each other as people, that we want to assume a positive intent about each other as coworkers, as team members, that we're, we all have a commitment here to, to fulfill the mission of our organization, serve our members, serve our clients, the more likely we can enter into those difficult conversations. I, I love the idea of trust. Uh, we, we put out um, a best places to work list annually. And this year, tr trust was a huge topic. Um, you know, it, it got really got exacerbated during the pandemic where people had to work from home. They weren't in the office, so they certainly couldn't be like watched the same way. Mm -hmm. Employers have to learn to trust their employees yes. to, to do the job. And I see this as, as another sort of, you know, act of that, trust is that, uh, you know, trust us that when we have these conversations, it's really just for the better the betterment of the entire company, working towards a common goal, not not to take you down a peg because because we're we're discussing some discussing something that could be improved. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And that ties into psychological safety too. And Amy Edmondson has done so much research in the in the last several years about the importance of people feeling safe to speak up about their opinion and differences, admit a mistake, and know it's not going to be used against them. In fact, you, you're probably familiar with the study done uh, several years ago by Google, the Project Aristotle, mm -hmm. where they were looking at all of the factors of what makes a high-performing team. And they analyzed all these different variables. And at the end of the day, it came down to psychological safety that people could feel that had the trust of being able to speak up and share ideas and even fail at some, take a risk and it didn't work out. And, and the mindset is, okay, that didn't work. What can we learn from it to apply moving forward to make us better? Okay. Yeah, this, this is great. And it, it, it interests me on, so we talked about, you know, conflict can be healthy. How do you how do you carry out that conflict? Is it is it a manager approaching um, a direct report? Like so, how how do you initiate that process in a way that will be healthy and productive? Well, as you mentioned, the manager, the leader, it starts at the top, mm -hmm. and when when employees see the healthy behavior modeled by the leader that shows, hey, this is how we treat each other around here. This is how we interact. This is how we do our work that we are respectful and kind to each other. We can have difficult conversations because I care about you. Uh, it does start with the leader modeling that behavior and the leader also admitting when they make a mistake or apologizing uh, to their direct reports about not following through on something or misinterpreting something, uh, making a mistake. All of those things really make a difference of employees trusting their leader and also showing up in that way with healthy behaviors because they see it modeled from the top. And what about where it's carried out? So I've, I've noticed this, you know, working in an office environment for, for a number of years now, um, when we, we were in person, um, you know, there, there is the option, how, how do you communicate with people? You can, obviously you can walk over and talk to them or you can just send, send an email. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, we'd be emailing each other in the same office, even though we're 10 feet away. Because so much of our communication as a team happens over email. And the same, I think the same thing, right, can occur with, with conflict. If you need to have that tough conversation, um, obviously you can do it in person, but you could also do it over email or, or, or virtually. So how do you approach that sort of virtual versus in-person de decision of how to handle conflict? I'm more of a fan of whenever possible having face-to-face interaction. Why is that? Because we can pick up on the nonverbal cues. We can pick up on facial expressions or um, um, hand gestures or eye rolling or um, just the the pauses and being able to say, I just want to check that out. I, I just, the look on your face appears uh, upset. I, I just want to check that out with you. It, it, if we can't do it in person, then to do it virtually with our cameras on. Yeah. Um, ideally, and um, that that we we just when we try to resolve conflict through an email or texting, it's more likely that we would misinterpret tone. We don't get the sense of the tone of voice. Uh, we can you know maybe write in all caps, and that can be interpreted as anger. Um, there just isn't the opportunity to clarify intent 
and tone of voice and the words uh, that people are saying when we're not either in person or at least virtually uh, being able to see someone through the camera. I, I love that advice. I, I mean, I, I can't mention how many times I've been part of, a, of an email chain mm -hmm. where somebody, somebody writes something and one person interprets it one way and another person interprets it completely different or the one person gets angry and and I, and then I, if I read the same words, I, I don't have the same reaction because right, it's like the subject is sort of in, inserting themselves into that into that those words what what they see it's not necessarily maybe what, what the what the person intended when they originally wrote it mm -hmm. yes yes absolutely and just simply checking things out hey I, I'm just not sure I, I it could be me I just want to check this out uh, and and could we uh, get on zoom or on on the internet and just have a conversation just to clarify so in-person obviously can be a little more confrontational, right? That's the, sort of the whole, whole point of it. Um, if, 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 you, if you're a person who doesn't relish that, how do you, how do you get over that fear to, to, as you said, be in the tension? I, well, in my book, um, How Did My Family Get in My Office? I, I talk about the four R's of resolution mm -hmm. in terms of helping us to enter into those difficult conversations. The first two R's have to do with our own self-awareness and the second have to do with how we interact with others. The first R is regard the scar. And this is where we are doing our own work, where we're recognizing, we're looking back at our upbringing to recognize when we are in a conflictual situation at work or, or even at home, that we are looking at what is this trigger about? Why am I having this reaction to this person that I went from zero to 10 in a matter of seconds, what's this about? I often find that it relates to some aspect of our family dynamics are showing up in the office. And it's not always the case. I'm not saying it's an all or nothing. It's right. something to look back at or some life experience. It may have been a, a coach or a, a teacher growing up that, that this situation now is triggering something. And it's so important that we simply acknowledge, okay, I'm gonna take the time to acknowledge what this is about and calm myself down emotionally. This is where, again, we're getting into the brain science of when we're triggered and our fight or flight response is flooding our, the best thinking in our prefrontal cortex, taking that time to pause, breathe, maybe take a walk, and simply do some self-reflection of what's at stake here for me? What's this about? That's the first R, regard the scar. The second R is reframe to stop blame. And this is where we look at, we tend to be a victim when, when we're in a conflict. And look at what they did to me and how could they do that? And all that, that blaming, thinking. Reframe to stop blame is... We take that step back and we are looking at what's the story we're telling ourselves about this situation. What's another way of looking at this? What part have I played? How can I take ownership for my part? And if, if not, if it's there's something somebody else has done to get clarity on when this happened, this is how I felt. And I, I want to check this out with you. So we have kind of a script that we say to, to ourselves before we go in to the next R, which is respect and connect. Now this is where, okay, we've gotten clarity about our own self-awareness, what we're triggered about. And now this is the hardest part. 
this is where we go into that tension. We're going to show up with respect, regard for, as, for that other person as a human being, as a human being just like us. And we're going to extend the hand of connection. And we're going to then enter that messy, uncomfortable conversation of talking about the tension or whatever this incident was that triggered the upset. And as much as possible, as long as it depends on us, show up as a grown-up, take responsibility for being who we aspire to be during conflict, and work through the difficult conversation. The fourth R is resolve to evolve. And this is where, regardless of what others do or don't do, we make the effort, we make the gesture to work out differences and conflict with the other person. We cannot control what other people do. We can only be responsible and control our part. And to know in our heart of hearts, we are doing the very best we can and to be the author of our success and to work towards resolution. So when you work with leaders and teams and, and, and espouse these strategies, how receptive are they to it? Because it, it does seem to take a measure of self-awareness and a willingness to grow, which is not easy for a lot of people. No. Uh, when I present to leadership teams, uh, I have often hear at the end of the conversation, you know, Bonnie, I've gone to many leadership development trainings about conflict resolution, about em emotional intelligence. I have never heard conflict resolution talked about in this way before. Mm. And it, the light bulbs are going on in the moment of, wow, I'm now making the connection about why I do react the way I do. Uh, what is triggering my emotional response during conflict? And now I know better the plan to change my pattern to improve conflict for the better. Uh, if, if I may share one of the stories from sure. the book, it, yeah. would that be okay? Definitely. One of the leaders, uh, all the leaders shared it, in their own words what it was like for them growing up. I had their permission. They gave me fictitious names. And one of the leaders that I'm referring to right now is June. She grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, her dad was an alcoholic. And in her words, her mom allowed it and denied that anything was happening. June was one of several kids, and she was the only one in the family who would stand up to her father. And she would fight, and she received emotional, physical abuse as a result of standing up to her father. Fast forward, she's in the workplace, and she is a very aggressive leader, highly successful. One day, she reads an article about adult children of alcoholics, and she was intrigued by it. So uh, she went to the company's EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, to learn more about this. She learns that she has become an alcoholic. She didn't realize that she was drinking to the point of a blackout every night in order to numb her emotional pain, but then could go to work and fully function the next day. She got into recovery, embraced 12-step AA, got into therapy, was really working on calming down her reactivity and, and sober. Few years later, her boss approached her and uh, said, we would like to promote you, but you still have some rough edges. You can be overly aggressive at times. Before we would offer you this promotion, we want you to go to leaders, some leadership development, to some training, to to look at this, to develop some emotional intelligence skills. And so she she went and she she said, you know, Bonnie, there are people like me that needed to learn how to tame down, and then there are other people who leaders who needed to learn how to speak up. At one point during the training, the facilitator said to her, 
tell me about your upbringing. And June told her, and the facilitator then said something that was the turnaround. You're safe. You're okay. You got out. And even though June had been sober, she'd been actively working on herself. It was those words that truly calmed down her nervous system to made her recognize, I don't have to be this overly aggressive leader. And, and she went on and still is an empathic, impactful leader that is positively influencing the workplace because she worked on herself, so that she addressed her family factor. That's a, it's an incredible story. And I think it just illustrates there's obviously strategies you can practice to become better, but also that self-reflection to acknowledge the, the ways that you can improve as a as a person, as a, as a leader. So um, yes. that's, that's amazing and obviously incredible for her to, to sort of overcome those challenges. You know, I, I found that all the leaders that I interviewed were very courageous, just wonderful people. And they share in the, their stories such vulnerability and transparency. And they had, a, as I was putting the book together and I was looking for a theme, like what is it that, that all of these leaders did? And I came upon a word in the dictionary, it's a real word, and I have another promotional product to, for, your, for your listeners. The word is pertinacity. Okay. And it means it's a combination of persistence and tenacity, and it's sticking with what's difficult, with courage, conviction, and a little bit of stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what these leaders did. That's what it takes for us to transform our conflict style for the better is with courage, it's it's not for the faint of heart to look at our stuff, to look at uh, how we were impacted from our upbringing. But the beautiful thing is, it's not about blame, it's about understanding. And we can learn these skills to transform our conflict style for the better. So to, to wrap up, um, we're, I'm gonna just, little, little fun exercise, fun in air quotes. I'm gonna, uh, I wanna walk through a couple sort of common workplace conflict scenarios. And um, and just just feel free to you know offer your thoughts, advice, you know how 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 sort of how what you think to best handle those scenarios. And, and likewise, if you, for our, our watchers, listeners, um, if you have you again, if you have specific questions, you know again, Bonnie is here to answer them. So um, the first one, Bonnie, and so this is actually literally my family's in my office and family business. We know we know how difficult it can be. Husband wife teams, uh, parents children's relatives that you know the idea that. You can't fire your family. That that you're you're sort of stuck with them when you're in a, in a family business. How how do you handle the, those challenges when it, it it is literally your family that you're working with every day? Yes, I, I would so encourage families to address issues in their personal family dynamics, so they don't spill over into the family business. Mm-hmm. When stuff goes unresolved it by nature will spill over into the business and it will impact your other non-family member employees. And that's that's risky and it's tense, and it, but yet the transformation can happen. I recently recorded a video for the members of ASI about a, a family owned business um, and how they work through conflict. And the, the gist of this story of this family owned business is a third generation business this couple were determined, their their motto was better than we found it. 
better than we found it. And they were intentional of addressing dysfunctional behaviors of secrecy or um, allowing uh, dysfunctional behaviors of underperformance just because somebody was a family member. They addressed those behaviors and things got rocky and it was tense. But today that business is better than they found it and still going on and thriving. And just, just to add, since you mentioned it, Bonnie, um, the, the webinar you did is available on our ASI University page, and we'll include a link to it in the episode page for this podcast on uh, asicentral.com slash podcast. Um, all right, so the next scenario, I think this is a common one that people are familiar with, is that that superstar who you know makes a lot of sales, does incredible, does incredible work, but um, can be either egotistical, abrasive, or downright abusive. How, how do you handle a person like that? Yes. Actually, I love these people. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I, I do. I have a coaching program that specifically is geared towards that abrasive employee. And it takes the business owners, the leader, the manager of that abrasive, the person who's exhibiting the abrasive behavior, to intervene and say, we care about you. We value you. We know the contribution that you're making for the, your expert knowledge, the revenue that you're bringing in. We value you. And this behavior of speaking in a condescending way to our, uh, our employees, uh, the public humiliating, yelling at people in the hallway, um, uh, overreacting, your temper goes from zero to 10 in a matter of seconds, that can't go on. And we, we want to offer you some help to change that, to turn around that behavior. We just want you to know this cannot go on. Now, oftentimes they deny it. They genuinely do not see it. They, they genuinely have blinders on. And that's when the leader has to be very clear with the boundary of something is going to happen if this behavior continues. We want to help you. We want to help you turn this around this has to stop. And so the message has to come either from the business owner or this person's direct line manager to say, this won't be tolerated. This isn't how we treat people here. This isn't the kind of culture we want to build. This has to change. Okay. That's, I, I like that advice. It's sort of, it's drawing a hard line, but also showing some empathy to work with mm -hmm. that person. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, la last one. Um, it's the it's the difference of opinion. Maybe more than a difference of opinion. Just two people. They have different working styles, different personalities. These clash because they just see see things differently constantly. How, how do you resolve resolve that that conflict? Go in with the perspective of I truly want to understand. Go in with a mindset of curiosity, and asking questions that start with how or what. Those are more open ended questions. Be aware of your tone of voice that I, how, tell me more about where, what you're thinking with this. How did you come to that conclusion? And it's a way to, to, again, you're staying in that tension of having the difficult conversation, not necessarily with this, at this point for the, the issue to be resolved, but to understand that makes that game changer of decreasing tension is when everybody feels understood. That's when, okay, we're up, this is this is where you're coming from. This is where I'm coming from. Now let's talk about how do we want to go forward? And it may mean a little bit of your point of view, maybe a little bit of my point of view. It may be trying something and just see how it works. We're going to go into it like an experiment 
we'll try it for a few months and then revisit it. It's having that open-mindedness and the willingness to be curious and ask questions to understand first before you go into problem solving. Okay. And we have a we have one here from Tasha Rawls. And Tasha says, great tips. Thanks so much. I've been learning so much from awareness of what triggers me. We're all works in progress. Yes, we are. Thank you, Natasha. Yeah, I, I mean, I well, we're gonna get the final takeaways in a second, but definitely, um, you know, I it's it's an, definitely stressed to me from our conversation how how in continuous improvement is so is so important. If, if we can become better leaders, be, better coworkers, um, we can, we can help resolve these issues that that do occur in the workplace and, and come to a better resolution when when there, when there is workplace conflict. Absolutely. And we're all learning and growing. It, it's it's an ongoing process. And if we could see that as positive, it's a sign of strength to grow and to be aware of our shortcomings when we drop the ball, apologize. That's what makes work relationships, all relationships really stronger in the long run. When, when again, we can have that vulnerability-based trust and psychological safety. So just to wrap up, Bonnie, um, any final points, any, anything you want to leave with our, our watchers and our listeners? Well, if your listeners would like to learn more about their family factor, they can go to workplacefamilyfactor.com uh, where they can take an assessment to understand how conflict was handled in their upbringing that's impacted the way they deal with conflict today. And they'll get their results and then they'll get uh, some tips following in some emails of what they can do to improve their conflict style for the better. Okay, I'll take that quiz myself because I'm very curious to see see what answers I get. Great. Um, and, and if people want to um, find your book or, or even work with you, where, where can they find you? Uh, my website is bonnieartmanfox.com. And the name of my book is How Did My Family Get in My Office? Great. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie, for these all these awesome tips and strategies. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing to help create healthy workplaces. Oh, de definitely. We, you know, we, we want to help our members um, perform better, be happier. And yes. so I'm so happy for you to come on today and, and help us in that mission. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, everybody, for, for watching and listening and have a great rest of your day.